Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome, I'm Lucas Rappel, and today I'm speaking with Mark Hetzel. Working with a group of over 50 students at the Little Wound School in Kyle, South Dakota, Mark collected countless hours of oral history interviews with Ogallala Lakota people on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Mark and his students then turned those interviews into a seven-part audio series to piece together the long and complex story of the Lakota Oyate, or nation, through the voices of local elders and community members. These are now available in the form of a podcast called The Heart of All Oral History Project. As Mark's students write on The Heart of All's website, quote, We see this project as an opportunity to finally tell our own story, to set the record straight, and to be reminded by our own relatives where we came from and who we really are." Framed as a conversation between community elders and students at the Little Wound School, the podcast series reflects the oral storytelling tradition that represents how Lakota people traditionally passed their knowledge on from one generation to the next. But this process was interrupted by the U.S. federal government's assimilationist policies during the late 19th and early 20th century, which punished Lakota people uh, for speaking their language or practicing their traditional culture and ceremonies in boarding schools as well as other institutions of settler colonialism. By providing a space for Lakota people to tell their own history in their own voices, this project thus represents a profound statement of indigenous sovereignty and Lakota resistance to the epistemic imperialism of the United States. It's also a rich resource for non-Native people who are interested in learning more about the violent history of settler colonialism, the immense courage and steadfast resilience of Lakota people, as well as the beauty, creativity, and humor of Lakota culture. I simply can't say enough good things about this eye-opening series. The stories are beautifully told, and the whole thing is deeply researched. It's also an incredibly moving account of a history whose importance cannot be overstated, but one that non-Native audiences seldom hear told from an Indigenous perspective. So I just can't recommend it highly enough. If you want to learn more about the Heart of All Oral History Project, please visit www.heartofallohp.com. So that's one word, www.heartofallohp.com. Welcome, Mark. Good to see you uh, and uh, hear your voice, uh, Lucas. Um, it's been a while. Last time I saw you was in Kyle, South Dakota, and uh, it's I'm, I'm happy that our paths have crossed and continue to. Yeah, me too. Um now you're in Chicago, I understand it, or nearby at least. Can you tell us a little bit, though, about how it was that you initially came to live in Kyle, South Dakota, where I understand you lived for quite a few years? Yeah, I was actually uh, living in, in Chicago for a number of years, um, close to 20, I think. And and uh, um, I realized, I guess, that I needed a change. I was kind of tired of every time I went outside running into people and traffic and kind of claustrophobic and maybe going through something in my life, I forget, but kind of needed a change. And so I I looked for opportunities to 
for some reason, I I was always drawn um, to South Dakota and interested in the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And and um, so I reached out to a friend who I, I knew had done some work out there and asked for, you know, some tips and, and how I could get out there and get involved. And she made some suggestions. And so I went out there and really fell in love with the place. I, I met a man named Ed Youngman, afraid of his horses and um, really kind, generous man, really important part of the Little Wound School community. Um, and when I went back to Chicago, I just thought about this place that, you know, resonated with me so deeply and and tried to figure out a way that I could get back over there. And um, and so I found out that Teach for America um, was an integral part of Little Wound School. Um, and that was a way that I could um, kind of make my way into the community. And I, I everything kind of just fell into place. I applied to uh, Teach for America and I uh, subverted the process and found um elected the school that I wanted to there anyway um ended up at the school I wanted to be rather than the way that the process normally works and stuff like that so I figured out how to get there and um two weeks after I arrived um Ed young man afraid of his horses actually passed and um so I lost the only person that I knew in Kyle and um, but anyway, I, I had already met some of his friends and stayed in touch with them. And um, after a year passed, we started um, we started an EP ceremony or um, the sweat lodge ceremony, as most people know it, back up something that he had done a couple times a week for I don't know how many years. But um, and so I got really got to know his friends really well. Um, and I was just in, I was just in awe every time we would come out of an EP and we'd sit around and eat and talk and, um, the stories, the history, the, you know, the humor, all of these things, um, just, um, were so charming, isn't the right word, but it was just incredible to hear. And then I contrasted that with my, my experience at the school where a lot of students, um, you know, a lot of students that I had been working with for several years by then didn't have any didn't have any understanding of a lot of this history or, you know, weren't getting these teachings at home and stuff like that. And so I uh, I realized that, you know, something like this project would be really important for future for, for these kids I was working with that, that didn't weren't getting those teachings and for future generations. And so it kind of precipitated, you know, um, applying for for grants and stuff like that. And then everything kind of fell into place again. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about you mentioned a project. So can you just tell us a bit more about what the Heart of All Oral History Project was? And it sounds like, yeah, it grew out of your friendship with Young Man Afraid of His Horses and his friends and doing sweat lodge ceremonies with them. So can you just talk a little bit about how you started collecting oral histories and how you became interested in in doing that kind of work and turning it into a podcast series at some point? Yeah, so, um, you know, I there was one man um, that I knew through Ed. Um, his name was Marcel Bulber. And he was probably the first person that actually kind of challenged me. You know, we need to do something, um, he said, and and with his sparkle in his eye. And, um, and um, you know, I kind of, I took it as a challenge. And um, knowing, you know, that w- what I just explained, you know, the importance of this stuff and how, how, um, 
how important it was for for the students for not just students even a lot of adults there were so many processes you know boarding schools um the generation that came after boarding school survivors a lot of those teachings were lost through a lot of the historical processes that we cover in the project um and um so it just seemed like uh something that needed to be done and um and yeah it you know um i don't know if i if i addressed your your question directly do you have any any follow-up question well i guess i mean one basic question i have for you is um the role of oral storytelling in lakota historiography you might say so like the way that lakota people themselves pass their history from one generation to the next the role that oral storytelling play if you could talk a little bit about oral storytelling as an important mode of transmitting historical knowledge from one generation to the next and how that influenced your decision to present lakota history through conversations with lakota elder so how you decided th that um kind of oral history is a good way of representing lakota history given the importance of storytelling within the Lakota community itself. Yeah, so, you know, um, the Lakota language, I think, you know, it wasn't written until very recently, the last, um, probably, I don't know, I would say, I, I don't know exactly, around 100 years or so, um, maybe a little bit more. And um, and so, yeah, pri prior to that, prior um, to being converted into the English language, and that's become a whole challenging topic today, but, um, that's how everything was passed on knowledge history um culture um you know and so we, we it was a no-brainer that this is how we we're going to go about it you know a lot of people wanted us to um turn it in, turn it into a book or uh you know and it was like well that's you know and again for first i was i was boggled when i started uh, out working in in kyle at little one school i um i worked with ninth graders and there were some incredible books um, that we would that I would read to the students, knowing that you know the, about the oral tradition. And these are traditional stories, and they were just incredibly complex stories. Where myself, when I would be, there were so many different characters and so many convoluted um, story arcs inter intertwined and stuff like that that I would have trouble. Um, and I had read the pieces a couple of times before to, you know, before I presented them to students. And when I would, when I'd be presenting them to students, um, they would just so casually be sitting there and, you know, and I was like ninth graders, they're not paying attention, but they, I would ask them quite very like, you know, intricate questions and, uh, they were on it like for there's something in in them that it, it just it just worked like they they were getting it they were getting the stories it was it was like almost in their dna or in their blood or something you know and so that's why i, I thought this would be such a important way to go forward with this project and i've had some people ask me to you know transcribe the whole thing which would be by by you know by the end of it it's an it's a, 11 hours and 47 minutes of um audio with the narration and and then the actual interviews themselves and that type of thing so that would be for one thing a huge undertaking but secondly it's not meant to be read you know it's meant to be heard yeah so it's it kind of taps into this very traditional 
ancient art, you could say, of Lakota storytelling, which it's that's an amazing story about your students, how they were just how they're just so good at listening. <laughs> and actually, that, that's something I've thought about a lot, too, that like um, for many of us, that's really something that um, we have to learn how to do. Right. Like listening, it turns out it's really hard to do. Um, and it's an important, yeah, it's a really amazing part of Lakota culture. I, I, I was wondering if you could just also, you talk, it was really interesting to hear you talk about your students and how in many ways they kind of shaped your own understanding of Lakota culture and your experience in Kyle on the Pine Ridge Reservation. So I was wondering if you could, it, and it reminded me that, of course, your students play such an important role in the podcast series that you produced, the Heart of All Oral History Project as well. So the students are kind of really central characters in a way in the podcast. So if you could talk a little bit about the role that students played in the podcast and why you thought it was so important to include your students in the kind of, you know, when listeners hear the podcast, they can hear your students' voices, why that's so important, not just to hear from community elders, but also to hear from young people uh, um, and, you know, young Lakota people as well. Yeah, I thought, you know, um, if we, if I, if I hoped, you know, which I did, I hoped that that students, uh, my uh, other kids, my students age or old, you know, down the road, future generations would want to listen to this, that they would be more likely to do so if they heard somebody their own age, you know, presenting the information. So that was definitely one um, aspect of it. Um and then, you know, they have such, they had, they have, and I'm not working there anymore. So I say have, but um, they um, have such an incredible um, instinct about it. And, you know, um, hearing stuff, I would, pre um, this happened during, we, we started the project and, and then COVID happened. And so a lot of the interviews I had to do on my own um you know because of of the challenges of covid and so i would bring them to the students i would then bring the interviews to the students so they would listen to the entireties of the interviews and and they just had such an instinct about what what was interesting and what and we had such great conversations about you know what other people would want to hear and why it was important and you know the knowledge that that needed to be passed on um so that that's what you know a, a lot of that that's a big part of why the, the students' voices were f at the forefront of the project and their input was so valued. Um, and so, you know, they really guided me as to like the protocol we would use even um, as when we approached or, you know, because of COVID, when I approached elders, like how we should proceed, um, you know, and, and they suggested going back to traditional protocols that we bring them tobacco, we bring the elders tobacco as an offering. Um, which is something that you do in, in Lakota culture if you're looking for advice or if you're looking for somebody to share information with you. So and or or food when that was possible, when I'd be meeting people face to face or, you know, when things loosened up a little bit um, related to COVID. Um, so they guided me with the protocol, how we should approach the whole thing. Um, again, they told me what people what what was important. Um, that should be passed on and preserved from each of those interviews, which led me to a lot of editing, which became my life for the better part of three years. Um, and let's see, what else did they do? They um, helped with the narration. They helped me write the narration and then read the narration. And this was something that was, if you hear it, uh, by the end of 12 episodes, I think 
the the narration script was close to 60 pages typed pages with 130 or 40 footnotes and um, we did a lot of research and they helped me with the narration and they read it and that was really interesting process getting them you know um, it, a lot of rehearsal and that type of, and they took it so seriously it was really wonderful to watch how invested they were in it um, they also helped me networking. So we reached out to some organizations around the state. South Dakota is a very conservative state. And um, especially for uh, there's a lot of racism to this day against indigenous populations when you leave the reservation. And we could get into that. But um, anyway, they, they guided me and how to re reach out to organizations that might bolster our efforts and um and they helped me with the social media campaign they just so many so many ways yeah absolutely i mean I, just speaking for myself i have to let you know that when i was listening to the series and it is very long it took me a lot although it was actually really nice for me because as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation i met you when i visited kyle and so i was have been spending a lot of time driving around South Dakota and driving from Rapid City to Pine Ridge and Rosebud and other parts of other reservations in South Dakota and listening to the oral history podcast while driving around in these areas where the history takes place was both really informative for me um, to kind of get up to speed on the history. It was super helpful, but also kind of really helped put me in a kind of cultural context. It was, and, and for that, like, hearing that it dialogue between the community elders and the children your your students at little wound school i found just incredibly effective because i could just kind of imagine imagine this as a conversation between generations and just kind of hear the knowledge being transmitted from one generation to the next and then imagine these students growing old and at one point you know telling their children or telling other children these important stories and this important history. Um, you mentioned something that I, I'm wondering if you want to elaborate about a little bit, which is the widespread racism against Lakota people and other indigenous people in South Dakota, but of course, uh, all over the world, really. I mean, certainly also in the United States too. Have you had any thoughts about how this kind of oral history project and other oral history projects like it could, I don't know what the relationship is maybe between like whether that can be useful to people outside of Pine Ridge as well, whether you're hoping that white people will listen to this podcast too, and what they might take away from this knowledge that's being communicated. Yeah, so um, um, so the governor of South Dakota, and one, one of the things that happened while I was out there is um, the governor was leading an effort to, um, uh, I guess, simplistically to remove a lot of indigenous history from um from what is taught in throughout the state and so that was definitely something that we were thinking about as we were doing this project um you know not to go toe to toe but um with her um governor noam but um but you know in a way to um constructively add to to this conversation where um you know there aren't a lot of great resources also and and something um you know that this his, the history hasn't often been told by the indigenous people themselves which is another reason that that we feel that the project is so important um and so um you know that was definitely a, that definitely is a hope that that um this project can be used in the schools and beyond um you know we kind of 
feel and I, I by we I, I mean myself and the students these are conversations that we had for a long time but that the, that you know all Americans should know this history better than most people do um, um, and again there aren't many there's a lot of books but not so much you know written by indigenous people themselves there's a lot of scholars that came through and who knows what their um, you know, motivations were or how their message came across or who they were talking to or, um, you know, how it was portrayed. And so to a lot of, um, to, to present this information as authentically as possible, you know, from people, a lot of the people that we interviewed were, you know, um, one of the guys was a cook at, at the school for 40 some years. And, um, there's some, you know, one of the people we talked to, a couple of the people we talked to were form three people actually that we talked to were former presidents, but a lot of people were, um, you know, um, everyday people that, you know, and to, to hear the perspective and their stories are so, it's so incredibly valuable. You know, every family story is important. Every perspective is different and, and important. And we just found that, you know, that these stories and the way that they're told and um, that they're all incredibly valuable. And yes, that we really, really wish that they get to a broader audience, you know, because most people, most Americans don't, um, the indigenous story is not um, a headline, generally speaking. Um, and so if, if, you know, it, but, but because of these historical processes, right, where um, reservations like the Pine Ridge Reservation is tucked away, it's in the middle of nowhere, you drive you know, an hour through, um, you can't get reception for that hour, which is why you're listening to our oral history project. Um, you know, it, it's, you, you don't, you, it's easy to forget um, that these are people that are still living, thriving, um, faced with challenges related to this difficult history. But um, it's an a really important story that that needs to be told and needs to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. Not just easy to forget, but I I mean, I would go further and say probably in some ways engineered. <laughs> We've been engineered to forget um, that history. That's part of the process of settler colonialism, I guess, is to um, kind of the erasure of those indigenous histories. Um, and it just reminded me, you know, you were talking about um, your students and how skilled, what skilled listeners they were because of this they're how embedded they are in this storytelling culture and tradition. And the opposite is true too, right? The elders that you interviewed, they're also just incredibly skilled storytellers. Um, so yeah, all sorts of different people that you interview for the podcast and the way they tell these stories is just so captivating. Like they're su they do such a good job of telling this history from a Lakota perspective, but also just, you know, like really just engaging, you know, I'm not Lakota and I was just driving around listening to it and really, um, yeah, totally captivated by the way they were telling these stories. I wonder if you have a, a favorite episode or like a favorite moment from the or like a favorite event or something like that. Many of the events, of course, that are discussed are incredibly difficult, painful events. So I don't know if favorite is quite the right word for it. But if there's one in particular that you wanted to talk about that comes up in the podcast series. Well, I should say, yeah, I agree with you that, the, the you know, the presentation of these stories is incredibly compelling. They're incredible. The You know, the people we talk to and the hundreds and thousands of others that we didn't get around to talking to um, the stories are and the, you know, they're just such interesting stories and important topics that people talk about these these stories that have been passed on from generation to generation. Um, and then I think it speaks to also 
what people used and continue to use to to survive the humor you know you could be talking about the um heaviest topic and still that sense of humor that comes through you know as uh, you, you 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 hear it and it, it in the middle of this really really heavy story and it's um you know a coping mechanism for sure but it's such a beautiful beautiful thing that i think makes it that compelling and a um and it balances the the light and the dark you know and kind of um allows you to hang in there and and, and it's what they've had to do you know it's what they've had to do for so long um and anyway um i have so many um i think all the episodes are interesting and amazing in their own way um i love the second episode which talks about time before contact um with europeans and um settlers and um i that it's one of my favorites um the first episode is incredibly important covering origin stories um the third once you get into the arrival of the europeans um there's so many parts of that episode um that that was probably the hardest one that we put together but when i listened to it i think it was somehow the most effective in a way because it's such difficult history to talk about but um it really moves and it's really balanced and it's really i find the project overall to be really comprehensive we had when we we applied for the grant we had a you know we kind of put together what we thought the project was going to look like and and as we went through the history there are so many other things that we didn't include in our application that needed to be addressed you know that we realized needed to be addressed um and and so anyway it became that's why it became a, a 11 hour and 47 minute uh endeavor but um episode uh five which covered uh wounded knee the occupation of wounded knee was i think incredibly moving um the the beginning of that episode which talks about relocation which is a story that you don't hear too much about i think that was really really important um moving forward into episode six um which which i think that i hate to say it might be one of the most boring episodes in a sense because it it looks at all of the important processes that happened after wounded knee 73 um the um the indian child welfare act the education acts the freedom of religion act the um the black hills case um the supreme court case of 1980 um and you know and then episode seven also i think they're all it's hard to pick a favorite i i'm, I'm sorry it's like when you have a, many children you can't say which one is your favorite one yeah. well maybe i'll ask uh um i i personally was really really fascinated by the first episode on creation narratives um so maybe if you could just briefly say something about um and then i also want to ask you about wounded knee the 1973 occupation but um First, if you could just speak briefly about why you thought it was important. And I, I would say I, I agree, like the, the scope, the ambition of this project is kind of mind blowing because it goes, it starts at the beginning of everything and it goes until the future, actually, like there's a kind of forward looking episode at the end. But anyway, if you could say just a few words, if you want, about why you decided to begin with the creation of the world itself um, rather than anywhere else in particular, like why did you decide to go all the way back to the creation yeah, well, I think you answered your own question. Uh, well, what better place to start than at the beginning? Um, you know, and so in, in a sense, 
um, and our artistic minds, um, you know, I think, and also I, I, living, living there for a number of years, the story, you would hear them, the stories, people would re refer to them here and there. Um, and again, with our main audience being Lakota youth, um, it's kind of the foundational, you know, and, and we, we thought that what better place to start, like if, if students hadn't heard um, the story of the great race or, you know, um, the story of the white buffalo calf woman or, you know, there's there's also story uh, origin stories there that um, that aren't as well known. Um, Richard Moves Camp at the end of that episode talks about his family's cre creation or origin story. Um, which relates to the what we know as the Big Dipper, the Seven Star Dipper, um, and so that it's it's a take on origin stories that isn't as prominent. Um, but anyway, I, you know, it, I guess artistically, it it just seemed like a proper place to start if we wanted to lay the foundation. And and the second episode is also part of that foundation time before contact, because once you get into the history in episode three, it takes on a life of its own. And I guess part of it also was to to find a balance between the heaviness of that, you know, the 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 entire narrative. Um, and let's focus on um, some other important things before we, you know, inevitably get to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, could I ask you about Wounded Knee? So to me, that was maybe the other episode that has kind of preoccupied my imagination the most, maybe uh, after having listened to the entire series, is um, the story about the 1973 occupation of Wounded Knee. I think it's 73, is that right? Um, yeah. And part of it, it has to do with a couple of things, one of which is that listening to that episode, it was so clear that the memory and the legacy of that history was still so present at Pine Ridge and that your students were really grappling with it. And they were, I was really um, kind of, a, kind of touched, I guess, in a way with how honest they were about how, how difficult it was for them to grapple with this kind of traumatic event um, and its legacy. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about what happened at Wounded Knee uh, in the late 20th century and, and how that has continued to shape culture, society, and politics in Pine Ridge into the present day and, and how, and your students kind of relationship to all of that. Yeah. Well, you know, it, um, the occupation that happened, um, in 1973 was, I mean, to this day, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. When, when, um, when I went to talk to my superintendent about the project and said that we were doing an episode on Wounded Knee 73, um he basically told me not to do it um and it's it's still to this day an incredibly polarizing um topic um it was essentially as as one of the inter people we interviewed um said it was civil war um you know it was it was aim against goon it was um and and it was it was a war and then the federal government got involved and and um um i'm i'm not going to explain the entirety of all the pol intricacies of the pol uh, the politics and everything you got to listen to the episode to to uh, to get that because i think it really comes through um we we made an effort to get perspective as as best we could perspectives from both sides of the fence and i think it's portrayed pretty well um um 
there were less people in this day and age that aligned with the the goon or uh, f- philosophy. Um, so it was a little bit harder to get uh, to represent that perspective. But um, nonetheless, we we definitely made an effort to try to balance the views on it. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's recent history. Um, it's very recent history. And um, h- however, not too many people talk about it because it was so polarizing. Um, as my superintendent's words indicate, you know, um, people almost don't want to bring that 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 uh, that history back up and um and so yeah we we tried to you know i think overall throughout the project we tried to do this and present this history in a constructive way in a way that you know this information is presented um not in um you know in a in a in and not in a way that um is you know the this happened, there's nothing we can do about it, but what can we do about it? You know, moving forward, what can we do about this stuff? And so we Wounded Knee 73, we tried to take that and be like, okay, well, what can we learn from this? And that's kind of how I presented it to the students and how we wanted to grapple with it. Because again, I had students that were on both sides of the fence, their families were associated with with the, uh, the goon side or the aim side. And, um, some of them knew this and some of them didn't know it. Um, they would go home and they would come back and, t- you know, they would tell their families that they were working on this project about Wounded Knee 73 and and um, and their family would be like, you're working on what? And, you know, and then some of the students would come back and, and say, I didn't know my grandma was an Amester gangster and or you know, whatever. And it was it was they that was actually probably one of the uh, episodes that the students were most uh, like really just interested in and just they were because because again it's such recent history and people had stories and very vivid you know very very um, dramatic traumatic some of the stories were very traumatic and um, anyway it, it, it really brought them into it because they it's kind of like you know our our um our addiction or america's addiction to reality shows it was it has something about it where uh you know they'd go home and they'd they'd find that they were actually very very that their families were part of this so yeah yeah but like you were saying i really like this point you make about um not just treating it like a reality show but trying to do something constructive with it um and try to build something out of out of this trauma. So I, I, let me ask just two final questions. Um, the first one is, um, you know, I've often heard indigenous people themselves make the critique that, especially white historians, when white historians write about indigenous history, there can be a tendency to portray indigenous people, Lakota people and other indigenous people as kind of perfe- perpetual, history's perpetual victims, right? That that history is, it basically starts with European colonization, and and after that, it's just one um, kind of tragedy after another. So, what I wanted to ask you about is how you and your students try to balance, on the one hand, the desire not to fall into that kind of trap, right? To celebrate um, Lakota culture, like the richness and creativity and beauty of Lakota culture, humor, as you were talking about, to try to balance that with also a desire at the same time 
to be honest about this really difficult history, this really traumatic history. These events did happen, and it's important, like you were saying, it's maybe especially important for white people to know about the history, the violent history of American imperialism and settler colonialism. So how did you kind of keep those two desires in tension with one another in an effort to write a kind of history that could be productive, that could be used uh, as a resource for future generations moving forward? Um, I yeah, I guess you know we were conscious of it. We would talk about it, and the, the st- working with students, um, you know, they they certainly wanted um, that you know they wanted to hear the jokes and they and the and the little digs too. You know, um, there were uh, there were a couple comments that people made that um, that. Uh, that could have been left out, but they wanted it in there. Uh, the stu- you know, the students wanted it in there um, because it's honest. You know, so much of this is honest. And and going back to the humor, um, you know, the, it's again a a, a way that um, that's a way that you find balance. You know, with all with all this difficult history, and so a lot of it, while we were conscious about it, um, the process, I think a lot of a lot of um what we found was the way just the way it is you know the way that um people that are you know still living the way that they they cope with the, this difficult history um so you know responses to, to find a balance you know the humor the um the the little digs that kind of just make you feel a little bit better about you know um um so I think it was conscious and unconscious, but by the end of it, we felt like we did a pretty good job of of balancing the light and the dark, you know? Absolutely. I'd say so. I mean, I, yeah, the, I think I wrote this to you in an email at some point. When I was listening to the podcast series. I, I was so impressed at the way that it's, that you and your students have succeeded of kind of presenting a full range of human emotions, right? Not just that it operates on all these different registers at the same time. And yeah, humor is definitely one of them. Strength, resilience, courage is there too. There's love there. And then there's, yeah, there's sadness and tragedy and loss and violence and all this other stuff that's uh, part of human life and part of American history and indigenous history too, um, unfortunately. Uh, so I wanted to ask you with a forward look about, about, I want to end with a forward looking question and ask you a little bit, if you have any ideas about what you want to do next, or if you have any plans for, you know, you've created this, you and your students have created this amazingly rich oral archive. If you have any thoughts about what else you could do with it, or if you have any ideas about, um, you know, how else this archive could be used um, to produce knowledge and to kind of help celebrate Lakota culture and history. Yeah. So, um, you know, initially with our grant application, we intended to develop um, a, a curriculum or, you know, educational resources for for teachers to use in tandem with the the oral history project, and um, we but at the time we didn't realize what a gigantic project it, it would be, and so um, the the majority of our resources went into um, went into actually preserving the stories, you know, and um, we felt um, successful in that we did a good job of doing that, um, so we didn't feel too bad. Um, about not developing the curriculum yet. That's um, something that we've been um, tossing around that we would like to uh, pursue more funding um, and be able to develop a curriculum because, you know, teachers, especially on the reservation, are um, 
there, there's a lot going on and uh, it's hard to just take a resource like this and incorporate it into your classroom. So we wanted to make it as easy as possible. So that's definitely something that we would like to do, develop a curriculum that teachers could use to make sure that, you know, this, this important stuff is being shared in the classroom. And, um, and you know, another idea that we've tossed around is um, having this be the start of other projects through the course of the project. Um, People have asked asked us, you know, um, we need to do a project like this on education, indigenous education itself. Um, we need to do a project um, like this on the experience of indigenous vets, veterans, because um, um, it's such an you know an important and underrepresented perspective. Um, and so, you know, there's other avenues that we could pursue and and we're considering and um i guess we're kind of trip we're we're mastering the episodes as we speak um so there'll be better audio versions um it was such a dynamic project with all the voices all the narrators all the interview subjects and stuff like that um that we're doing one final audio treatment to the the project as a whole which will seamlessly um be populated into the um, podcast platforms so um so that's something that's happening as we speak um but then yes again that you know how how do we get we're trying to find more exposure for the project so that we could get this to a wider audience um and so we're still mulling over ideas and you know definitely if anyone out there has any ideas about how we could turn this into a curriculum or um get wider exposure on this what we feel is an incredibly important project that we're definitely willing to uh, talk, talk and think with with everybody. Do you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you if someone did want to do that? Yeah, um, through the website. Um, our website is www.heartofallohp.com. Heartofallohp.com, and um, there's um, there's a tab, um, a contact tab, and that comes directly to my email. So um, that would be the best way to do it. Um, and I've got contact with the rest of the team and uh, bring up, I'll bring all that information to them. Um, but that would be the best way to do it. And you could find, you know, find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Stitcher, um, iHeartRadio. Um, so most of the, the big um, podcast platforms. Yeah, absolutely. People should definitely give it a listen. It's It's just an amazing amazingly rich resource that you've created, Mark. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and let it, letting us know a little bit more about this podcast series that you and your students helped to create at Little Wound School. Of course. Thank you so much, Lucas. We really appreciate it.